I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Today on Fairy God Boss Radio, I'm talking with Andrea Gallego, principal and global CTO at Boston Consulting Group. Andrea, welcome to the show. It's it's fantastic to be here. Thank you so much. Can you tell us about your background? How did you develop and grow from finance at Lehman Brothers to becoming a global CTO? And and what do you do today? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, so honestly, it was a bit of an odd an odd path, um, but a, a fairly lucky one. So as as most of you know. Uh, Lehman Brothers took a very hard hit during the financial crisis. And by hard, I mean, it just went under completely. Um, <laughs> and it, it made me really rethink whether I wanted to be in a in an institution, in an organization that that had that kind of volatility, especially, uh, you know, not being that it's, it's not exactly a non-for-profit, right? So um, I took some time to, you know, see if there was something out there that could let me wet my kind of wet my feet in a number of different things. And I got very lucky with a, a hedge fund. Um, a very popular hedge fund, and the the husband and the wife that own that fund were starting a nonprofit foundation uh, and leveraging a lot of his his profits to do good. And they were at, I think they had like five people when I joined, and they said, "Listen, it's a good opportunity. You learn a little bit of anything, you know, of everything, and you know, in the meantime, you decide what you want to do." And I said, "That's perfect, right? That's exactly what I what I need right now." Um, I spent four years there. The team grew to ask you about, was that just like a mind blowingly different experience than Lehman brothers? It was, yeah. I mean, it was day and night. I went from working in a, I forget how big Lehman was, but it was definitely over 10, 20,000 people kind of being a a cog and, and, you know, rising the proverbial ladder to, uh, to sitting down with two, by the way, two fascinating women. So the foundation is, is still run today by two incredible women. Um, and basically put under their wing to do stuff I had never even thought I could do. So it was very different. So cool. And so you were there for four years. Yeah, I was there for four years. And in that, in that time, I, you know, I did things like helping women in, uh, in South America get access to certain, um, you know, certain rights. And I, I helped, I helped uh, the, the president of the foundation build a school for autism all the way to helping them find a way to gather data on how they were testing the, the children that were, they were claiming autistic or non-autistic. So you want to talk about a spectrum of <laughs> different things to do. Um, this is one of them. And, and in incredibly that incredibly rewarding. Yeah, it was, it, it was nice. I mean, I had never thought that I'd be very transparent, right? I always thought there were people in the world to do good. And there were people in the world who were very business driven. And I thought I was the business driven one, but this gave me a little bit of a, of a realization that I'm, I'm a little bit of both. I love that. So then you yeah, pivoted again. Yeah. So um, in, in one of these many different projects that, uh, that these two phenomenal ladies had me do, a lot of, one of them involved a lot of coding, a lot of data gathering, and a lot of analytics. And I found that the power in just being data-driven to come to a solution, whether it's in science or business or whatever, was fascinating. And, uh, and so I realized, hey, you know, I like to build things when I was little. I like to engineer things. I'll try computer science and some analytics. And so I went to grad school for that right after. And that's such a, but that you don't have a lot of people who came, were in finance and now are in 
engineering and computer science. And that and that must was it must have been hard to head back on campus. It must have been hard to sit among peers. I'm guessing there were not that many women. What was that experience like? It was interesting. I mean, not only were there not that many women, I I had the uh, I had the opportunity. Sorry, I got a little windy out here. Um, I had the opportunity to go to a school that was quite expensive, um, and to go to a school that had uh, given me a scholarship uh, due to, of course, being a woman in tech. Um, and so I took the scholarship option because why not, right? And I was not. I was one of three English speakers, uh, and one of two oh women. Goodness. Oh, <laughs> so wow. Like, which is fair, right? I mean, we do have a big international community coming into our schools in the States and stuff like that. And so it's totally normal in a very big class size, but um, definitely you feel it right in a, in a smaller class size, but it felt good. It felt, it felt nice to be, to be learning again. And I, you know, I took the full-time option, which I always highly recommend if you can, if you have the, the resources to do so, it was, uh, it was really nice to dive in again. That sounds fantastic. And so then back to the for-profit world. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Then I was like, oh, I like this stuff, but uh, here I go again. Um, Yeah, so I I figured, you know... (sighs) I want to, I fell in love with computer science and I realized that, you know, and this is what I think a lot of people deal with. Um, maybe not anymore, but they used to. My parents were immigrants. They said, lawyer, doctor. I chose neither. <laughs> I landed on investment banker and they're like, okay, that, that's decent. Um, but I loved to engineer when I was younger. I was the Lego brick person. You know, I was always trying to put things apart and, you know, put them back together. Um, but it never, I never had an engineer in my family. I had no computer science in my family. And so I ended up realizing it had, it had been something I loved for a long time, that I loved for a long time and never was nurtured or, you know, and in high school, there weren't that many programs um, even five, 10 years ago. So it felt actually in a very weird way. It felt like I was kind of coming back to things I enjoyed when I was much younger uh, and, and doing them in the business world was a kind of faster way to get my feet wet and then hopefully one day bringing that back to the community in some way. Well, it was certainly courageous of you to embark on a whole kind of second career so early and start from scratch. Um, tell us more about where that's led you and what are you doing now? Yeah, it's it's been fantastic. I mean, I, um, I, I started looking at a couple of companies and I, ended, I landed at Booz Allen, which was really exciting because I got to work not only in, you know, I got to use my skills immediately at a, at a pretty fantastic firm, but I got to work in the government space, which I had never worked in before which is also kind of nice. Um, and then I was just, you know, <laughs> merrily doing my work, learning, uh, kind of being very happy that I could blend my coding and my business skills, which was really nice inside of a consulting firm. And I, I literally got a call from McKinsey and I thought, no way. I mean, you know, first of all, this is McKinsey and company. Um, you know, when you're in the business world, this is kind of, you know, the place to be. Um, and they called me and they said, Hey, listen, the consulting world is changing. We need people who have hands-on skills. We see you actually have a blend of both. So it ended up serving me much better, um, to kind of have the two skill sets. And what do you think about doing some interviews and joining McKinsey? And so you can imagine what my answer was. Uh, yes, I, it sounds like an amazing opportunity. I also think it's a testament to the fact that when you you develop your background, you de- you develop your resume, you get noticed by by the top firms. 
Yeah, it's it's always, and I think this might happen also for a lot of people. You you get scared you're going to lose one skill set when you dabble in both, right? Oh, I'm not going to be the best coder in the world. I'm not going to be the best business person in the world. But my experience and in, in coming into the the space I'm in at BCG, I feel that it is much better. And yes, you have to focus. You have to focus on domains and industries. You have to be quite good at one thing. But if you're just a coder with no you know, no applicability of, of to what your thing does. And, and that doesn't mean you don't have to be an incredible coder, but um, you should be with some some knowledge of the business. I think it just it's so incredibly helpful when you're rising into leadership positions because you, you know, you find out how your code makes a difference to people and why, whether that's commercially or not. Right. It's also it's also, you know, how could it help? you know, get more water to places that don't have it anymore because of our geological changes. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been really important to keep both of the skills, um, high on my list. And so then you were at McKinsey for a few years before you went over to BCG. Yeah, I was at McKinsey for a few years. I really love McKinsey. It's a fantastic company. Um, I joined as a, you know, as in a, a lateral associate, so someone who comes in with some experience, experience hire. Um, and I was, as I was doing the work, I realized, oh, this consulting industry is backwards, <laughs> right? We had like PowerPoint and Excel, and like, you know, and the thing is, they're asking us to do all this brand new fancy analytics work, but we didn't have the resources for that. And I'm like, eh, maybe I should try to, you know you know, McKinsey's very entrepreneurial. And I was like, maybe I'll try to like build my own thing so that I have my own resources to run these projects. And so I started building a platform, very light cloud stuff, nothing major. And, you know, a lot of people were like, well, hold on a second. Let's put this on more and more of our cases and our project work because it's making us work a lot faster. And we have technology that we didn't have before. And that led to my quick, my semi-quick ascension to the, the COO of the cloud platform role, which was um, basically my, my mission statement to try to bring all of that to the core of the firm um, so that we could do analytics a little better and a little faster as a, as a firm, not just as like one small practice inside of McKinsey. Fantastic. So then what, what made you make the move over to BCG? It was, so yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's in the family and uh, a lot of people, it's, it's a great question. So really it was just, um, there were, you know, there are, there's a lot of M&A in companies and, and McKinsey did make an acquisition and the growth was unsure in terms of where my, my position was going to go. And I thought, Hey, listen, I'm young, I'm young enough to have this be the core part of my career. And I either stay here and be, you know, be okay with the answer they're providing me, or I, you know, try to use this opportunity right now to jump to something that could really, really, you know, spearhead not only my growth, but the, the ability I have to make impact. And BCG called and gave me just that. That's very courageous, uh, though, yeah. to make a move like that. Um, it was very difficult. It was a very difficult decision. It's a fantastic company, and going to a competitor is quite difficult. I'm sure. Um, so tell us about what you're doing today. What's your role at BCG? Yeah, today, today it's, it's fun. It's a great and busy role. So uh, as a CTO, I do what, a typical, what the typical role entails. Um, I drive our technology strategy for the practice, and I try to influence uh, with what we're doing in our practice. We try to influence parts of the rest of the firm. Uh, so if there's something we're doing that's enabling our clients in the analytics or technology space, we also try to enable the rest of the firm with that. 
Um, internally, we're building a proprietary software that will be released to the market soon in the analytics uh, automation space. And it'll have some proprietary tooling and some patents that we're filing. So that's very exciting as we try to build up the BCG IP portfolio. I'm building a team. And then on the side, like any other <laughs> good citizen of a consulting firm, I am, I am helping our clients do the same, right? So um, as, as BCG digitally transforms, we're trying to help our clients do the same. Well, it sounds very exciting and dynamic. And it also sounds like you've positioned yourself at the forefront of business and technology, which has clearly been your goal. And a lot of time, I'm, I make the analogy. I say that, you know, um, are you a homeowner? Do you, do you own your home? Not yet. Not yet. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm so trying. I, I say that for homeowners, we're all so acutely aware of exactly what our home costs, even like five years after we bought it. We monitor, we can compare on Zillow, and we all do things to improve the value of our home. We're all adding roofs or painting or you know improving that. Everyone's always thinking about what's my home worth. And I always think that as... Um, as people in our career, we should be thinking about our value as employees and our, val our what's our market value and how do we increase our value. And hearing your story really makes me think you've been incredibly smart and deliberate about maximizing your value in the marketplace, both in terms of gaining um, education and, and learning disciplines and putting yourself right in the middle of what everybody needs and wants a business right now, data and analytics management. And then, and then also in terms of kind of pivoting and navigating your career between companies to seize those opportunities and, and add to that value. Um, I, I think our listeners could learn a lot from you and what you've done in that. Is, is there any advice you have in how you've been, have you been very deliberate about it? How did you think about that? Oh, I definitely have not been deliberate. I, I, I think coming from the analytics world, and, and first of all, by the way, thank you. The um, I really appreciate that. I, I honestly had never, I don't do much of this for the, I really just love what I do. I honestly really, people are like, oh, you're That consulting. goes a long way too. <laughs> I really, I really do love, so I have a passion for changing what I think is the last industry to really change, which is consulting. If we, you know, we, we observe a lot of our clients, right, but we still deliver in PowerPoint decks. So if you think about the credibility and the brand equity you bring to a client and you tell them, we're going to help you digitally transform, you can't help but see that little tiny doubt in their face that goes, mm, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and granted, we have a lot of experts and so we end up winning the work, et cetera. But it's such an incredible story to be like, no, we transformed. We now deliver different services. This is how we do it. We can help you. Uh, that, that has a different and, and there's just there's some real excitement around being at the front of that. So, um, I mean, that's one of my pieces of advice. It's like the, probably the oldest piece you could give someone, but it really is to love what you do. And I, I do a, probably a three-year check-in and I'm like, am I, every three years I kind of sit down and I go, do I really love this? If I won the lottery, would I still go to work every day? Um, you know, maybe I wouldn't go to work on would Thursday or Friday. <laughs> I would, I absolutely would. I would not leave my team. Um, it, it, even at McKinsey, it absolutely killed me, killed to leave my team. Um, I think that as a leader and as a person, if you, you, if you leave a team, it's because the team doesn't need you anymore. And that's success. Um, if you leave a team and you leave them struggling a little bit, you have not succeeded. Right. So, um, it was very hard for me to make that 
that was part of the decision of, of leaving McKinsey. That was very hard for me to, to leave a team. We did backfill and we made sure that there was another leader there. Um, but it, it was, I, I looked at a lot of things. I looked at, honestly, there's the people, there's your team that you have a connection with. But then you think about the business side of it, you get a little more serious and you go, listen, at the end of the day, this is a business. If they had an issue with me or if something happened, they'd probably fire me. They'd be sad, but they would let me go if they had to in, a, in an instant, right? And this is, this is probably my Lehman. Yeah, well, and, and I this think is that's my Lehman what is PTSD. so important. Yeah. No, and, but also I do think women are more emotional about yes. our work. And also, which I think is, a, is mainly a positive, but can sometimes influence our personal decisions. We're more invested in our team. We're more invested in the people around us and our impact on them. Exactly, exactly. And, and you think about, well, hold on a second. Now, first of all, this company knows I'm worth what I'm worth. They know other companies are looking. They have a choice. They could try to retain me, right? They could try to make a decision and say, no, don't go. What can we do? And you can offer them three or four options. If you're a true consultant, you'll offer them three. <laughs> but, you know, you can offer them, you know, That's three funny. very good options, right? Here's the top of the line. Here's the most minimum I'm willing to take. And if they say, Honestly, if, if they say none of these, then I would expect them to respect you more for leaving. So, you know, there is this kind of, listen, I know my value. I know like exactly like you were saying, I know my worth. We have a transaction. The transaction is low, no longer effective. Right. <laughs> and so I'm moving on to a better transaction. And I hope that this won't affect us, you know, if we're good friends, et cetera. I hope you respect the fact that this is for my personal growth. Right. I think um, men are much better at saying it's not yeah. personal and it isn't. Exactly. It is not personal. I mean, it, I still have friends at McKinsey and people that it's really and whoever does take it personally, it's like, come on, you would have done the same thing. Right. You know, it, it's like, you know, and, and I also think your team, whoever looked up to you also values seeing you make those decisions because it gives them a little more courage like oh maybe I should make a jump if I have to right I mean I think to the point we're all we're learning from you I think you're navigating your career very deftly and and everyone can learn more about it and everyone should think more about it because to your as a transaction because that's exactly it's how we're we're this is we're all we're not back at your not-for-profit everybody's here (laughs) to drive shareholder value that's what we have to do if we're working for a corporation that's what we're there for. Um, so you talked about man- managers and, and how obviously you, you must be a very good manager because you deeply invest in your team. But what do you, what are the qualities you look for in a good manager and, and try to embody yourself? Yeah. Um, and, and thank you, by the way, I, it, it's one of the things I try to focus on the most and also internalize in terms of what am I doing wrong? What could I do better? Um, so the first thing I look at is, and this is something I think Simon Sinek said, which resonates with me as well. Um, and also a picture I saw, I think on LinkedIn somewhere, which was, there was like a card of, there was like people trying to carry horses or something like this. And there were two pictures. One was the leader in the front trying to pull everyone. And one was the leader in the back kind of quietly pushing everyone. And I try to look for people that quietly push and quietly enable without being the, no, you must do this. You must do that. I think honestly, leaders are there to serve their people, right? Um, 
I had a discussion the other day with my team and they were like, Hey, Andrea, I know I was supposed to do this thing, but could you help me out? And I'm like, I'll, I'll do it. Give it to me. Now, obviously this, there's the whole, you need to delegate. Don't, don't do everything yourself, except if they ask of you something, right? Hey, I have a priority I'm working on for you. Someone put this on my plate and I'm like, how can I help you? How can I make a call? Um, the, <laughs> the other thing, and I'll be a little, excuse my language, but someone once said, you need a really good shit shield in life. And it's true. You need I, to shield your team from the shit. <laughs> I agree. I, the best managers I've ever had are the ones who've gone to bat for me or in, in yes. a business perspective, even from a business perspective, I mean, let alone from like a promotion or compensation perspective. But when I'm having a business issue and I'm, I need their help influencing senior levels, that's, that's been a great boss for me. I do agree with that. Yeah, it's 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 really important. And then I, I think the, you know, almost like when you're parenting or when you're with your family or something, it's just just do what you're saying you're asking your your people to do. Right. So another this was this also happened today, which is quite funny. Um, they have a good rapport on my team, but I have a rule that if I can scroll your email, I'm not reading it. <laughs> So I am, uh, I'm a bit tricky when it comes to email cause I don't do the manifestos and they're not actionable. They're not productive. They drive me a little crazy. Um, so I use other methods of communication. We use Slack. I and love we that. Use, uh, but it's if, come on, I don't need to scroll down. Um, <laughs> if I do attach a memo, I'll read the memo. Um, so, so we had this, someone was writing something on Slack and, uh, I said, Hey guys, could you send a quick email on this? And one of my, uh, one of the principal engineers was like, excuse me, you want me to send you an email? <laughs> and so I was fun. like, all right, all right. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> let's find a middle ground guys. Um, so I, I think there's, there's one, you know, I think there's two lessons in that. One is not only being honest and saying, okay, yeah, I need to take my own advice. But two is obviously my team has that kind of freedom with me to treat me as an equal. I absolutely hate being seen as someone who's above someone else. No one is above anyone. Like, give me a break. I may get paid a little more money. That's about it. Maybe I've been in the industry a little more refreshing other than that sensibility that I think we could use more of in the world. You know, other than that, because honestly, if my, I think managers don't realize this enough. And I I look for my man, when I hire managers, I, I ask them the same thing. Like if your team all of a sudden quit, how exactly do you go to your manager and say, you're going to get the work done? You're really shit out of luck. Uh, no, no kidding. <laughs> so I, I know they're that's a little more important than you if we want to talk about hierarchy here. Um, so, so yeah, I value them a lot. So I, I'm interested to ask you how gender has played a role in your career, especially, I mean, you've been in, in an investment bank and you've been in technology. So um, as you've come up and now as you're kind of a leader, how do you feel your career would have been different if you were a man? What are, what are things that you've experienced do you think that are unique to women? Yeah. So I I have to be honest for a while there, I was like, Oh man, I don't feel any of this gender stuff people are talking about. I've been fine. No problem. What I did not realize naively is that it happens at a certain inflection point when you have a lot of managerial duties. Um, and maybe that's for me personally, that may happen for women younger on in, in their careers. But in my personal experience, it's been in the tweaks I've had to make in my personality and in my delivery of communication that I honestly don't think I'd have to make if I were a man. Yeah. First of all, we call that the aha moment, because I think many women, uh, and I have 
about it too. I came out of college and I thought, oh my gosh, gender diversity was my mom's issue. It's not mine. Um, and then you, you become a manager and you realize you're not there. You're not on the same playing field. So, so tell me about what your, these communication tweaks you're talking about. Yeah, so I, um, you know, if, if, if it hasn't come across yet, I'm a fairly aggressive leader. I have a lot of like what, what people call either effective management or steamrolling, <laughs> one or the other, because I'm trying to make change. And usually if you try to make change, you're you're going to ruffle a few feathers. And if you don't, you're not doing something right. I've um, been so an I expert <laughs> feather ruffler myself. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I love you. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, us feather rufflers, we, we have a, you know, I mean, I personally have a certain tone. Um, and sometimes there have been people of, of you know, there have been men that do not take that tone uh, too kindly. I think uh, a lot of men don't, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> right. And some, you know, I'm writing emails, no big deal. There's some, now some men do, some women do whatever. It's no big deal. Um, and only up until recently, I received, by the way, from a very incredible, from an incredibly supportive male sponsor of mine, I received a, don't pay any attention to this, but we just got a little bit of feedback that, you know, you know, you could be a little less, you could be a little You're less ruffling aggressive some sometimes. Feathers. You're ruffling some feathers. And I'm just like, are you kidding me right now? Like real, like, are we, and I know what it would like, I knew the email, it was over. And I knew the, the person that received this email. Um, and I said, oh, this is, you know, I couldn't help, which I hate to think I couldn't help to think, man, if this was a guy, they, they would have, he would have taken me out for a beer and been like, Hey, let's resolve this. But he got super defensive. He started telling me all of these things about how he's doing this, just all of these different things. Um, and I thought, Whoa, that is some reaction. <laughs> Holy, you know, so now of course I can resolve that. I tweak my comms and all of that. But so I've noticed that the difference has been, I may have to put a little more energy into having very, very careful audience management and comms management. But you know what I think at the end of the day is that'll just make me a better person. So, meh. Yeah, it is. It, it give, right. It helps you practice the internal filter, um, which, which is, is not always easy and is not always most expedient for business either. And I think um, exactly. sometimes that can feel frustrating. Um, tell us about other women in your career. Have there been women who've helped you along the way? Yeah, I mean, I will, I will publicly, you know, thank and bow down to Marilyn Simons and, and Patricia Weisenfeld, who run, run the Simons Foundation. I, first of all, Marilyn is the most amazing woman. I mean, she, she has her PhD. She's an amazing mother. She, I don't know how many boards she sits on. I, I forget now. Um, and she is just polite and kind and also very receptive. And she's kind of that person who is, you know, quiet in the room, but will say one sentence. And when she says that one sentence, it resonates with absolutely everybody. Um, and just such, just a very, very quiet, uh, just force of That's stability. That's incredible to see yeah. when people do that. Right? <laughs> that takes legitimate skill. Um, and, and Patty, just like the, you know, just driven and, and always finds a good way to give you feedback. She gave me, she really gave me a lot of good feedback when I was younger. Some of it was not the, you know, the, it was constructive. It wasn't necessarily, you're, you're good at everything you do, but, those but it are was great. That's the, what a good manager oh, does. They are exactly. They just care. They just really care so much. And I think they're, you know, 
I've had other, I've had another, you know, Margo Palermo, who um, is at a, is at a bank. I was at Stony Brook um, when I was doing my bachelor's. Also incredible. And I think there's that thing about, you know, yeah, you manage some people and you might leave or you might, but there's this whole like mentorship that goes beyond your, you know, beyond where you're sitting in your career. And that's where I think you really start to gain a rapport. Like Marilyn, if I told Marilyn I needed to leave to another company and it was the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or something, she would be like, she'd throw me a party. <laughs> she'd be like, oh my God, this is so good for your career. This is amazing. How can I help you? What, how many references can I write for you? And that means that if she ever called me and needed me to do something, I'd probably drop everything. Right? Right. Um, right. Good managers so, help uh, help their their stars leave the nest when it's time. It's true. Um, all right. Tell us, have you, is there a mistake you've made at some point, um, that you, you would like to share? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've definitely, I, I've made a few. You've I, I done think, a lot, uh, right. <laughs> I've made a few mistakes. I'll give you one that I think was a theme that I had to work on a lot. Um, and someone also, and by the way, a man gave me some very, very good advice, um, at McKinsey about this. Uh, two, two men actually gave me good, good advice. So, uh, given that I'm the feather ruffler, I'm also very defensive in nature. And a lot of times I'll feel that something is being done to me, not for me, not, not for the company, whatever. And so I had to do a lot of work to continuously look at, okay, it seems that I'm getting a little defensive now. Um, and so two men told me two things. Uh, one man told me, you have to remember that no matter what, someone has a good intention in what they're trying to do. There's a good intention somewhere (laughs) to see something that someone does and go to the worst possible intention. And it's a real discipline to pause and try to see where they're coming from or simply try to see that they've had a bad day. Exactly. And I still make this mistake today, by the way. This isn't like, oh, I'm totally perfect. I don't make this mistake. I still make it today. And I have to roll back and go, maybe that person had different intentions. And I have to go back and apologize and say, hey, listen, let's just find out what the what common values we have here and go forward. So I I think that was that was one. And then one other fantastic leader at McKinsey told me, you know, when you think of something, always think fair in tone and firm in the matter. I was like, huh, I freaking love that. Right. Because you're fair, but you're firm. Right. So you don't have to be defensive, but you can still be firm and pretty kind of, you know, strong footed and and planted in your in your opinion. But you should be fair and you should think about it the right way. And so um, I've I've bumped I've bumped my head on that one a lot of times. And I still tweak it today because, like you said, it's it's a it's a it's a muscle to be able to always think this person has good intentions. Maybe it's just not coming out right today. For sure. All right. Well, we have five fast questions to ask you. Do you have a favorite book to recommend to our audience? So this, <laughs> yes, uh, um, it'll, I have a little, bi- I have a few, I have a little bias towards this one, but um, the, the Amazon Jeff Bezos book, uh, which I think was his uh, biography by someone else um, was fascinating. Uh, just the way that this man did what he did um, was was really fascinating, and and have I've, I've highlighted and I've read it a few times. Just a, a fantastic book, and and I've, I've read it a, and a talk couple of about times. someone who really is doing it for the love of it, right? <laughs> I mean, you wanted, and and of course now people have followed in his footsteps. But I I remember a few parts. One being, um, you know him not caring about shareholder value and going, listen, 
I know what I'm doing. I have shareholders, but I believe in the broader, the broader good. Obviously, you know, Elon is, is and Musk is doing this as well. Obviously, it's not for the better, the better good in the sense of like, you know, I want to do everything for non-for-profit, but it's I'm trying to make a change. I think we can do this. Um, and I'm not worried about shareholder value right now. I'm worried about, you know, doing this right for my company. Um, so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of good in that. I mean, there's a lot to be said about a company that's almost a monopoly at this point, but just himself. In as which a person, industry? In like five yeah. industries. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, and so there, there's two ways to view that. One is like, holy crap, we have to slow this guy down. The other one is, holy crap, how in the world did this guy even get here? being from where with a, literally a bookstore out of his garage right a lot of those stories are like oh start up in a garage but no 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 he literally started a bookstore you know and barnes and noble told him to fly a kite right and he just <laughs> saw beyond the, the walls literally it's um, a great book what's your favorite way to exercise i'm a runner yep uh it's How- just my meditation so i run six days a week and i just i i try i usually use the treadmill too um it, it helps me, like, I don't have to know where I'm going. Um, but I like to run outside, too. But any running form of is, running. Running is definitely one of the most flexible kinds of exercise you can do because you can do it, like, anywhere. And that's fantastic. What's your favorite movie? Ooh. Oh, man. Uh, that is a great... Oh, that's a great question. Um, let's see. So I have to say, I don't know if I have a favorite. I'm trying to think if I have a favorite or like top that are coming to mind. Avatar was one of my favorite. Um, you are a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and of course now the, the, the new, I'm a huge fan of all the new Marvel. I just love what they're doing with these Marvel revivals like Infinity War and Black Panther. They're just so freaking cool. They are um, cool. And so forward thinking. Uh, but yeah. All right. Well, we certainly get your genre. That much I know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. And one person, dead or alive, you would like to have dinner with? Oh. Um, oh man. Let's see. Dead or alive? Yeah. Again, I'm not. I feel like I'm not going to be. Um, so, let's see. I feel like I have two two people, but I am gonna have to I am gonna have to pick one. So let me see. Mm. Hmm. I, I think I'm just gonna I am gonna have to say Jeff Bezos. <laughs> I thought you might, but he would be amazing if you could get him to sit for that long. It would be I really mean, incredible. That's what I mean. Without <laughs> looking at his email, right, or giving you a three-page memo, which is his his, his fancy is, is these memos. He would um, have to learn I, I, a thing or two about the kind of emails you expect to receive. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be like, "Whoa, wait a minute! You don't want a memo?" I'd be like, "No, Jeff, we need to have a conversation. I don't like these memos." <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's your favorite karaoke? What would your karaoke song be if we made you go out for karaoke? Stand by me. Oh, that is a beautiful song. I love that song. It's just so nice. <laughs> it is so nice. All right. And our last question for you today is what advice would you give our audience? There this is a group of ambitious, career-minded women. Often they're struggling with advancing, they're struggling with balancing work and life. What advice, what should they be focused on to have the most success in their careers? I think we all take for granted, and this will be a little, I'll have a a positive spin on this, but 
a lot of things could happen to this world very soon, very far away, very close. If you knew, if you actually knew when the world, you know, when something might happen to you or the world or whatever, what would you change today? Change it. I got a little bit of chills. <laughs> I had like a it's little what I do. in the it, stomach, but it's so true. It's so true. It freaks me out sometimes, right? You, you're not, you, and the scientists are like, just engineers are like, you're like, oh my God, wait a minute. Actually, if I think about the reality of everything, oh my, and you start going into this yeah. really weird cycle of badness. But it does make you li- really, really live for today if you get yourself in a little bit of that, um, you know, I need to be in the present and, and then just change one thing. I love it. Wow. Andrea, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's great advice. I think everybody has something to learn from what you've shared today, both in terms of how to build a really solid career and then how to be a good manager and how to be thoughtful about our place in the world. Um, So we really appreciate the time you've spent with us. Thank you. No, thank you so much. And I really, the questions were thoughtful and I I really appreciate this. And I'm looking forward to, um, you know, collaborating, collaborating more with the community of the fantastic women that you guys I'm sure have put together. So I'm looking forward to it. Us too. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.